Today, our guest on the Property Management Show is none other than Ethan Lieber from Latchel. We'll talk about not the elephant in the room, something bigger. These behemoth venture-backed companies that are entering the property management space right now. We'll discuss why they're here, what makes them tick, and how property managers can compete even though it feels like the chips are stacked against them. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Half, a marketing agency that creates and implements owner lead generating plans for property management companies. Since 2012, we've been helping property management companies with owner marketing, from building conversion-driven websites, creating content to attract and nurture leads, reputation management, online ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. Before we dive into the podcast, have you heard about Four and a Half Sale for Scale? For a limited time only, you can get our best-selling scale marketing package with no setup fee and at a discounted monthly rate. Our scale package includes a website, blogs, reputation management, and more. Get the discount by signing up before May 31st at fourandhalf.com slash pricing. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F dot com slash pricing. And now on to the show. Something that happened at PM Grow this last January was you um, had a fireside chat on the topic of how property managers can compete with these venture-backed companies. And so we want to talk to you a little bit about that today. But before we dive into that, we're kind of like, why? Why do they need to compete? Why are these VC-backed companies getting into property management? Like, what do you think's going on there? Good question. To many, like, you know, it might be kind of an obvious answer, but the answer is there's a lot of money in property management. There's so much business opportunity. Um, You know, in in just traditional management, the opportunity is at least in the hundreds of billions. And then when you add in all these ancillary services, it gets up to the trillions. It's just a massive industry. There's tons of money in property management. And so obviously that attracts all these businesses. Traditionally, they've been very local businesses capturing market share in these local regions. And, and you know, more recently, you have lots of companies. And actually, when you look at the national scale, it probably started with companies like Yardi, right? Like right. Folio and Buildium, who were also venture-backed. They approached it differently. And now VCs are looking at it. You have all these entrepreneurs looking at the industry. Like, can we take a dominance in market share? It's crazy fragmented, right? The top, I think it's the top 50 management companies only own 7%. Big multifamily organizations. Yeah, it's crazy. 7%. Like, that's absurd. There's no other industry like it. Potentially the only one that was like this in the past might have been retail, Right. And then you had Walmart come in, just eat all that retail up. And then of course you have Amazon come in after that and it just mm-hmm. eats up the whole online like retail area. And property management is one of this like remaining industries that's it's really a hard nut to crack for these VCs because it's so fragmented and regional. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you you mentioned that, you know, to understand kind of what you can do to compete, you have to understand how the competition ticks, right? So mm. obviously it's yeah. driven by money, right? VC, 
VC, Money. but a lot of return. This is an industry that potentially could give you trillions of dollars because of the opportunity. Um, what else makes them tick apart from money? Because that's what all businesses want, money. Right. So all these all these businesses are trying to get money. One, one of the other things that I think has been typical in, in venture-backed companies is they look for industries with winner-take-all dynamics, meaning if you figure it out, you can own a dominance in the market. Like think Microsoft, right? right? Microsoft early on, they figured it out. And then the government had to come in and like break them up. And they're like, hey, you got to like invest your money in Apple so that you have a competitor, right? Um, I, mean, I, I don't know exactly the mechanics of like right. how the government breaks up monopolies and things like that. But, you know, if, if, if you're thinking like, what is a VC's ultimate goal or a VC-backed company? Well, the ultimate goal is to get so big you're your monopoly and everything you do is the optics around how do I just not look like a monopoly so they don't get broken up and can keep like minting money, right? right. So traditionally, there's this sort of idea of like, is this a winner-take-all industry? I think uh, it's hard for me to see someone looking at property management saying this is winner-take-all. And I think managers because i see a lot of online chatter i think the, the intuition or the the immediate thought is to be like oh no like we're gonna they're gonna wipe the floor with us and you know zillow or something will come in and just do it all or like mine's gonna win they're gonna take everything and there'll be no room for anyone else i i think this might be one of the few industries though that that probably isn't the case and that's probably not why vcs put money in they're putting money in because the industry is just so freaking big that they don't actually need to take all, you can take a small little fraction and be a unicorn company at a billion plus, right? right. So um, while they might be looking for these, these dynamics or looking to eat up a lot of market share, it's probably going to be challenging to have a winner take all dynamic. And we can talk more about that later because I think it has to do with some of the competitive advantage that um, local property managers have. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of like the two, two big things that typically lead VC into a, a market. Uh, the third thing that I think comes after, you know, a venture uh, firm sees this opportunity and the entrepreneur mm -hmm. sees that opportunity in this massive market. The third piece becomes like, how ripe is that industry for like some form of disruption? And management, it's such a legacy industry. It's historically very inefficient with low margins, low use of technology, low use of automation, low use of AI. And what that means is it creates this space for companies to come in, leverage technology, leverage new software platforms, create meaningfully higher margin. And when you have meaningfully higher margin, it means your business can be more sustainable and fast growing even if your acquisition cost is higher than your competitors. So I can spend more money to go get my next customer than my competitor can and still be more profitable than them, mm -hmm. right? And so this creates a really great playing field for new entrants coming in to say, cool, I'm going to do it with technology. My margin is going to be 30% or 40% while everyone else is hovering around 6%. I can acquire customers at five times the cost they do, and I'm still more profitable than them. It's a huge right. competitive advantage, right? Yeah, you grow faster sooner, make the margin faster. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Does it work though? <laughs> <laughs> Does it? Yeah, well, um, 
there's a, the challenge I think in uh, property management is acquisition cost is always very high, uh, especially for companies that are trying to grow nationally, that are trying to scale quickly. Typically too, when you're trying to scale quickly, you naturally have a higher acquisition cost because you're just dumping money all over the place just to bring right. in customers quickly. There was a, um, I forgot who I was speaking to. This was like two, two to three years ago. But they were saying that, um, I think it was Runner's Warehouse at one time was spending $4,000 to acquire a landlord, which meant their payback wow. period. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Their payback period on that was over a year. Yeah. So they were literally willing to like take more than a year to make back the money it costs to get that customer. I, I know before we started recording, we were talking about like retaining customers. And yeah. Stuff, the, the key formula is, well, how long do you retain that person? Yeah. And what's their lifetime value? If I can lose money on them the first year, if I retain them for six more years with a massive lifetime value, right. it just becomes like, how much does it cost me to acquire them? What's that lifetime value? And now you have a simple math equation for figuring out like mm-hmm. how you grow your company. Totally. Now, like when we were, we're, I know we were talking about, you know, why does, why is property management so interesting to venture backed entrepreneurs and venture firms? The component here around acquisition is they know that acquiring one by one is expensive. Um, And so what it looks like most of these VC backed companies do is they change their acquisition equation. Now this creates some opportunity for uh, kind of more regional or local managers a lot of the way they calculate their acquisition is along the lines of uh, growth through acquisition of other management companies. And so if I can purchase a management company um, that maybe relatively is a good company with good processes but low margin, I can pay a premium to acquire that company based off their cash flow Mm -hmm. and know that because I have all this tech and AI and margin efficient operation, my margin's gonna, I'm gonna be able to 5X the profitability of this company I just purchased. And then part of this equation is, well, what's my payback period on that acquisition of that company? And oftentimes that's actually gonna be a way more efficient way to grow. But what do you need to grow that way? Well, you need a lot of capital, right? You need a lot of money if I'm just gonna go buy up other management companies. But if I do that in the right way, I'm actually still building a very profitable company. Now, the ven- a venture back company is going to be the only ones with enough capital to repeatedly do this. You have to have a lot of money if your growth strategy is just acquire other management companies, but it's a really good model if you make the purchase economics work for you. The good news to local regional managers is you're actually probably not even competing for the same landlords, mm. Right. A lot of the VC-backed companies compete on the purchasing of management companies. Most managers, they're not competing on purchasing a management company. They're competing mm-hmm. to acquire the landlord. Yeah. So they're, they're in, in some ways, you don't have to maybe worry too much. I think you actually have to worry maybe like five years out right. when these companies decide, hey, we're done purchasing other management companies and now we're going right to that right. landlord. Yeah, and, and like you said, right, a, a big key ingredient to do this kind of growth is money up front. Um, and I, I think a, a common trend right now um, is for property managers, like smaller property managers to kind of band together, consolidate, 
because mm. they feel like, oh, the VC people have the chip stacks stacked against us, so we should band together. And then if we pull our resources, then we'll have capital to grow, maybe invest in the automation, the AI or the tech, mm. then maybe we have a fighting chance. But what can you say about this trend? Like, is this the future? Is it consolidated smaller property managers versus the behemoth VC-backed property managers? Mm. Like, Yeah, well, I think consolidated local and regional managers have an edge in any market they're in over the behemoth, right? It's kind of like a it's the the David versus Goliath kind of story. Like I think the the analogy here is that as the local property manager, you have like this nimbleness that like the, the behemoths don't have, and and that's an advantage to you. I think um, I think you two probably know a lot more about how these local managers that are kind of consolidating and working together. I, I think you probably have a better idea than me of how they're operating. Part of how this looks to me is like, are you sort of building co-branding to be an advantage in the same way like a franchise does, like a real property management or a PMI, but without like the franchise model of like, I'm, I pay X amount every month and get like a playbook. Maybe they are very, maybe they're more similar than I'm thinking though. And maybe it's sort of like a lightweight almost franchise model without being a franchise, more like a membership model or something like that, which I think yeah. is interesting. It's a fascinating I think some of way. them are like that. I think, I think some of them are like that. And I think that some of them um, aren't. It, it, people are doing things differently. And it is really interesting to see. Like I do see some people having um, working as independent companies under the same name, right? But they mm. are co-branding first and then moving towards like, um, you know, the brand that they're working towards. But then there are some people that they will, um, you know, acquire a company, right? And that the the owner of the company still works with the the, the, the new company as a whole, right? And then yeah. that tra transitions into the behemoth, right? It is interesting how people are trying to find different ways to do it. Um, but I think one of the biggest obstacles that a lot of people are facing is just like how to maintain operations when you do that. Yeah. I mean, like fundamentally when you look at like how, how, sh what's a healthy market, you know, it's, it's obviously not a monopoly market and you, you kind of have two choices in, in any market or any business. You end up with a dominant player, which is a lot, a lot of what the full stack venture backed companies are trying to do like a mind, right? Dominate that market, own the customer, um, which centralizes or consolidates all the wealth building in the market. And the other possibility is a democratization of the margin, right? And of, of the wealth in the market. And when you have uh, these groups, whether it's like a, a franchise, right? Like a key renter PMI, RPM, mm -hmm. Or if it's a, a consolidated group of managers working together to earn customers' trust, in those cases, it's still democratized, right? Mm -hmm. Which means there's a lot more people making lots of money than like one person making like an uber crazy amount of money. Yeah. You know, I think in those cases, like these are good things because you disseminate knowledge faster. You earn a customer's trust faster because you create stronger branding. 
like one of the cool things about uh, if you're starting off a business and you decide to go like a franchise route is you're already capturing trust, even though you might only have like five homes under management. Right. Like if you created your own company with five homes under management, you need to get over the trust hurdle. Nobody knows who you are. Like, who I is like, this guy? Dude, you manage five homes. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I going to trust you? But if you're uh, suddenly you have that, that brand name, it's like, I don't really, I'm not even going to ask how many homes you're managing because like mm-hmm. you're a national company. Yeah. And most, I would assume that most people uh, don't understand the structure. Most landlords might not understand the structure. So they see the name and they just assume they assume trust, even if they might not even really be connected. You might just be using 100%. the name. So, yeah. This, I think, is it's super helpful, too, as in this new economy we have where folks are investing in homes out of state. I mean, this has always been happening, but it's, it's happening increasingly. Totally. And so by partnering up with companies that aren't even in your local area to work under a common brand, like you can create this this trust and awareness fairly yeah. quickly I, it, there's also meaningful things though in how you actually operate because it, it's sort of like you have this built-in mastermind group and they can give you the playbook around how do you automate this how do you automate that how do you automate this so that you can yeah. build up your margin and not have to figure everything out from scratch because yeah. you know, as soon as you have to figure it all out for yourself you're it takes you six months or 12 months longer than right you should have. So it's like capitalizing on collaboration. That's like, I didn't even think about that, but it's like you have a group of people that band together. One person might know the ins and outs of this thing. Another person might be like, oh, I do it this way. And everybody else just like combines their knowledge to make something really efficient. So that, I mean, that makes sense to me. I would buy into that, right? Yeah. So it sounds a lot like automation seems to be kind of the secret weapon that the big companies use. And so um, the property managers that do decide to consolidate, um, once they put their heads together, they find better ways to operate, more streamlined, they adopt automation, they have a better fighting chance. Is that the only way to compete though with a venture-backed company? Like what about smaller companies that maybe want to stay independent? So the the way to build that fighting chance, I think, is yeah, so you, you talk about like the, the using technology, purposes of using the technology to create this like really efficient margin. Um, and what that allows you to do is build this moat around yourself, right? Um, and when you do that, you build all this margin, you start minting money, using technology to create margin is how you get that cash flow. The second part of this is how do you invest that cash flow you have that capital you have in generating more and then this lets you expand out in your local area potentially then you can hop to other areas um to get that working you have to use what your competitive advantage is and this competitive advantage is i think one of the most important things you can do and it has nothing to do with being in a consolidated group if you're just going this on your own and, you know, you're probably a part of NARPA or you went to PM Grow. The advantage you have is you're a pillar in your community, though. Yeah. And that's something like no, like, conglomerate or, like, national or VC-backed company can create. You're a pillar in your community. You have the community's trust, right? 
So when you talk about like an uh, you know investor in California or something looking for a property manager for their out-of-state property, you lose that. But you have that better than anyone else for the people that actually live in that community and are renting in that community, which is probably going to be most of the landlords there. And you can leverage this to grow at a cheaper acquisition cost than anybody else. And so a, a good way to build up a company is you get density in that area until you, you're like, wow, I have so much penetration in my local market. I have to jump out somewhere yeah. else. And then you can build like that community pillar there. It's a little more challenging, takes more time. So your acquisition cost is a little bit higher, but you got to have good margin to then support yeah. that higher acquisition cost. So there's kind of like, you know, there's some formulaic elements here on how do you expand and, and build this out? I just talked to, I met him for the first time last week. His name's Greg Crabtree. Yeah, we love yeah. Greg. He was one of our keynote speakers at PM Grow. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, that's yeah. where we first got introduced to him at, at uh, the PM Grow Conference, which yeah. if anyone's listening and they didn't attend that, like they really missed out. So make <laughs> sure you you get in for next year. Yeah. So we saw his his presentation. We're like, oh, we have to have him on the, the Latchel podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, we had him on last week. And um, this is sort of a lot of what he he talks about. Like, how do you make the numbers work? And you got to like pin up your margin and, and all of this. So um, I think his book's called Simple Numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That'd be an awesome thing for anyone listening if they haven't looked at that to go check it out because he digs into this in like really, really good detail. Did you miss PM Grow Summit 2021 but want to watch Greg Crabtree's presentation, Simple Numbers 2.0, Rules for Smart Scaling? Head to 2021.pmgrowsummit.com to purchase access to all of the recorded content from this year's PM Grow Summit. If you were an attendee for PM Grow Summit 2021, use the access code that was sent to your email when signing up to get free access. And now, back to the show. The whole idea of the the pillar in the community, it's really interesting because it's like you do get these people that might be might be buying companies within your area, but they might be so far um, separated, removed. I guess, removed. Yeah, 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 from the community where it's like they don't know what makes it tick, right? But when you live there, you breathe there, you eat there, you <laughs> do everything, like you probably are friends with like other business owners and things along those lines. So you build this sense of community and that's what builds you into a pillar, not just the work that you do. So I feel like that's a really like good, like cool way to think of it. It's like be part of your community, be a pillar in the community and that's going to help you succeed because you're going to get people moving in from out of town. Maybe they move there for a job. They live in the home for a couple years. They get a promotion, decide to move up to a bigger home. And it's like, they know you um, and, and you have that to, credibility. Yeah. And th- those kinds of leads tend to have longer um, lifetimes, Lifetime right? value. Lifetime yeah. value. Then someone who found you online um, the, the, the moment you mess up, they're like, Oh, I'll go online again. I'll find a different manager versus someone from your community who you like met face to face, you shook their hand. Like you see them around. They know you as a pillar. Yeah. 
use yeah. that to your advantage. Yeah. And it's funny too, cause like a lot of people, I work with a lot of people that are involved in like the chamber of commerce and, um, thing like just like community, not necessarily industry associations. Like, like you said, that's so important, but like just being like establishing a foothold in the different community groups can make, um, just make a huge impact too with that word of mouth and recognition. Yeah, I, I think that's why a lot of um, property managers that are growing very quickly do a lot in in building relationships with like the local real estate agents as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just like more opportunity for word of mouth. Like the more places you can implant yourself, the more dominance you're going to have in that community. And it's impossible for one of the behemoths to replicate that just like, it's never going to happen. Um, yeah, I don't have any other questions. This was just like a, such an interesting topic and I feel like it's an ever evolving thing. I, who knew five years ago we'd be even having this conversation. Can I say one more thing that I think Please. gets missed a lot? Um, it, so at Latchel, like customer obsession is really important to us. And when we talk about how do we build a service, we always start backwards from like, what does the customer want? Right. And in the effort of starting backwards from the property management perspective, I think it's actually really important to define who your customer is and what your customer wants. And I think we miss this a lot. Um, and so I told you, like, before we started recording, like, I, yeah. I recently had this idea that I, I think might be a little controversial. Um, but I, I want to say it because I'm interested in what your, your listeners think about this. The landlord that chooses to work with a property manager is not any landlord. There's actually a very specific psychographic of that landlord. And only three out of 10 landlords fit in this psychographic. And so if you walk into a room of 10 landlords, actually only three will ever be or could be your customer. The other seven look just like those three. They have maybe the same maybe similar net worth, maybe a similar number of properties, but there's a key difference between those two sets, which is why only three of them will be your customer and seven won't. This is also what makes acquiring landlords challenging because you're hitting all 10, but actually only three out of the 10 will ever potentially be a customer. Um, right. It comes down to the psychographic of this DIY. So my thought here is, the landlord that chooses to work with a property manager fits one of a couple categories. They're the accidental landlord. Mm -hmm. And this one could be a hit, a hit or miss. Most often though, they're not going to be experienced with the property and there's going to be a voice inside of them that turns them to a property manager. That voice is kind of what I use the general term psychographic for. Um, mm -hmm. The other kind hates their current property manager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they want to leave and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like someone already using a property manager, they're like a great potential fit for your service if they don't like their manager. Mm -hmm. The other type just bought a property in a new area that they hadn't bought in and used as a property manager in the areas where they previously had homes. Mm -hmm. The other type, the fourth type, would might be institutional. So an right. institutional landlord. Um, I think like most property managers probably don't work with institutional. There are some VC back companies that focus on institutional. And so they'd be non-competitive actually with a lot of listeners. Mm -hmm. And so what, what actually is the, the, 
the voice inside the head that makes these four types choose a property manager. Well, this is where we can work backwards and say, what does the customer actually want? What is the actual value I drive? The actual value you drive isn't doing maintenance, right? It's not actually collecting rent. It's none of the things you actually do. Because what you do is very different than the value you're actually creating for this landlord. What the value you create for them is, is that they don't have to spend a second even thinking about the income they're going to get from the property. Mm-hmm. That's the value. And that's why you see these management companies now that are growing very quickly because they say, hey, we guarantee rent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, oh, cool. That's, that's even higher value for me now, right? Because yeah. uh, it's Set even it less worry. It. Right. Um, so what you're looking for is the landlord that wants to not think about their asset. The ones that think about their asset too much, you already know are terrible customers because they hit you up all the time. You're like, oh my God, they're so low margin. Like I'm wasting my time talking to them. And so I think like there has to be a reframing of like, who is my customer? My customer is the landlord that just doesn't even want to think about the property. They just want it off their hands and they just need to trust me enough to do it for them. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We just, we had a podcast recently, um, where, you know, the, the idea is you, you turn those people away, the people that want to know everything, right? (laughs) Like the people that are like, Oh, send me an update when you do this, send me an update when you do that, send me an update when you do that. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going to talk to you at all. And if you, if that doesn't work for you, we don't have to work together. Yeah. I, like, I think a key thing too is um, the types of owners um, you should be looking for should match how you operate, right? Like yeah. if you yourself, you like giving all these little updates every time something happens in the home, there's a certain type of landlord that likes that. Right. But a landlord who like just wants to get the check might actually find that cumbersome and make them anxious. Like, Oh, there's another pain. Do I have to do something? Like maybe they don't want to talk to anybody. Like I hate talking to people. You know what I mean? Like it's like. This is like the value too. Like once you actually have defined, okay, who's the landlord that just doesn't want to think about it. What you know you're optimizing for is peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be two types of people. The one whose peace of mind is like burying their head in the sand. Like I don't even want to know what's happening. I just don't want to think about it at all. There's the other type who is your customer, but peace of mind to them means at least getting notified of what's going on because when they get the notification, they're like, oh, wow, I feel better at least knowing and not having to do anything about it. And so if you you can actually tweak your communication styles to the two. Right. Like if you you will work with both, then it's not like a one size fits all thing and you kind of do need to adapt your communication style. But if you're like, no, that's not the way I operate, then you need to decide what type of client you want to work with. What are the common threads? You shrunk your market if you pick one. Yeah. Yeah. Both both fit your market because both just want peace of mind. They don't want to deal with it. They just, they achieve peace of mind and slightly different, different ways. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the benefit of technology is you can easily appeal to both without any manual work. You just set up your technology to facilitate this. So like, you know, Latchel focuses a lot on maintenance, but you can choose to have certain own owners 
notified for maintenance and others not because you know they, they don't care and it's just a simple <laughs> toggle like yes or no and it'd be a good thing when you, we talk about like onboarding a customer to actually ask them when you're onboarding absolutely owner. what's like, your communication style like yeah do you want me like, to slam you every time we get something or do you totally. just want me to run it yeah we, we had uh, uh talked about retention too and um one of the things I had commented on was that one of the types of customers that you should be hitting one of the, the, the three out of 10 landlords mm -hmm. that actually would use a property manager. The others won't, they never will like forget about them. But one of the, the, the three would be the kind that doesn't like their current manager. Mm -hmm. And this is why retention is so insanely important. Retention of the tenant and retention of the owner because retaining the tenant means you're making the owner money if they're less likely to leave you. Also, yeah. you're making more money when you retain the tenant. It's, it's way less operational work if you keep the tenant. Um, if you can't retain the property owner, like you shouldn't be property management because what you're doing is basically bringing someone in and then just losing them a year, yeah. two years Spending later the money to bring to them the in. better manager, right? Yeah, yeah, you're spending much money to bring them in. You can't keep them. You've got a leaky bucket. You, so fix, fix the leaks. Like if you're yeah, not figure out to what's wrong. Leaks, just do yeah. something else because the key to success in management is retaining. Mm -hmm. These people are leaving or these people are unhappy. Figure out why they're unhappy and find a solution. Yeah, maybe stop the faucet first, fix the leaks, right? Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of a misconception is I just need more leads. I just need more leads to stop the bleeding. But like, wait, are, are you really leaking too many owners? Because that's yeah. a different problem. Yeah. So this is one of the issues that a lot of the hyper-growth VC-backed companies have. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out how do we stop the leaks mm -hmm. while they're just like, they turned on a fire hose into that bucket. <laughs> Um, and so they, they're burning a lot of money doing this. And fortunately, all your listeners are not. They probably most of your listeners have plugged all these leaks. And then they're probably maybe half that do have small leaks that they still need to plug. And yeah, like, leaks happen. At, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> you always have them. You just want them to be smaller and smaller and smaller. Totally. You're never going to have 100% retention always. It's just like not a thing that's going to happen. Um, but you can use like, you know, your services, you can use like services like Latchel to help plug some of these bigger holes. Mm -hmm. Um, and other companies that aren't, not only are they going to be lower margin than you, they're going to be losing customers and you need to be the one that's there to pick those customers up. <laughs> like it's an amazing yeah. growth strategy. And provide right? a different experience. Yeah. 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 Provide the experience that keeps them with you keeps, keeps them yeah. happy. Keep the tenant there so they keep making money. Um, notify them in the ways they want to be notified to create peace of mind. I'm like, you're right. good. Then you only lose the customer when they want to sell their property. And if you have a mm -hmm. brokerage, hey, that's even better for you. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, that's great. Totally. Thank, thank you so much for the wonderful insights.